to open your Bible to John chapter 5. We're going to look at a short section this morning, um, verses 25 through 29. And that last song, I can never remember the words of the songs. Once I get up here, they just go out of my head. But just about, you know, oh yeah, he raised my life up from the dead. That is a perfect song that Izzy, I'm sure by providence, chose to go with this morning's message. The title of this morning's message is Jesus Gives Life. So, but before we go into that, in the section, let's pray once again and, and ask God to speak to each and every one of us this morning. Lord God, thank you so much for the time we've had up until this moment, the great time to proclaim the truths of the works that you have done, Lord God. You've truly raised up those who believe in you, to newness of life. And Lord God, we look forward to the time when you will return and totally consummate this new life into resurrected bodies, living for all eternity with you in your presence. And I pray, Lord God, that you would put that desire in our hearts as we look forward to that time. And also, Lord God, that you would show us how to live for you here and now until you return. I pray that you would speak to us in a mighty way through the words that we read this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us for a while or you're familiar with the Gospel of John, you know that Jesus has been speaking. Or he just did a great miracle. He healed a man on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders had a problem with that. They had another problem with the fact that he was claiming equality with God. And Jesus continues this conversation with them and demonstrates to them that he is God. That's John's entire purpose. If you read John chapter 20, he says that he wants, he wrote this gospel so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. These are titles of deity to Christ. And, you know, it's easy for us to sit back and go, how could they not see it? How could they not see that he's God? Here's a, a human being in their eyes claiming to be God. Just imagine with me for a moment or think of all the people since your lifetime, who claimed to be God. You know, you have David Koresh comes to mind, if you remember him. He, he was with a group called the Branch Davidians, and he claimed to be Jesus the Messiah. And everybody went down to Waco, Texas, and fought the government and obviously lost. And if I had time, I could, we could go through a whole litany and list of people who claimed to be God. And when we hear that, we'll be like, yeah, that guy's nuts. Have you ever heard, said, who died and made you God? You ever use that on somebody? Meaning, hey, who made you the leader? Who gave you all authority? So think of the religious leaders before we fall to the human. This, here's this guy claiming to be God. And so they're like, wait, hold up. We know the scriptures. The scripture says there's one God and he's not a man. So just think of that as Jesus is speaking. It's just unreal to them, un, incomprehensible to them to believe that. Again, they would be like, who died and made you Yahweh? Yahweh, God. So they're dealing with that, and Jesus is going to prove to them that he exactly is Yahweh. You remember last week in verse 21, Jesus said to them that he gives life just like the Father. And in the Old Testament scriptures, only one person gives life, and that is God, Yahweh. So how could Jesus claim to give life just like God the Father? And in verse 23, remember last week, he also claimed to have the same honor as God the Father. So again, they're trying to deal with this guy saying this. 
even though he's doing great miracles, it's hard for them to comprehend because they know there's one true God. Just like us, we know that there's one true God. And if somebody claims to be God, we're like, no, he's lying because we know the scriptures. So just put yourself in their shoes for a moment as they think of that. Now, this section here, he's going to elaborate on what it means that he has the power to give life. That's why I entitled this message this morning, Jesus Gives Life. So let's read this section, just uh, four short verses or five verses, then we'll come back and talk about it. So with that in mind, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who will hear and those who hear will live for just as so here's another comparison to Yahweh, just as the father has life in himself, even so he gave to the son also to have life in himself. Another comparison, and he gave authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. And we'll stop right there. So Jesus here is proclaiming that he has the power and the authority to give life, just like the father. Not only that, in verse 26, Jesus claims that he has life in himself. He is self-existent. He doesn't need anybody to give him life. He has always existed from eternity past until now and forever. Thus meaning he was never created. Jesus was never created. He's always existed. He has to be if he's going to be God. And these are the things that he's claiming to the religious leaders and all those who are listening to him. So you can understand their hesitation for a moment just to say, okay, yeah, we believe you. Again, it's easy for us because we've been raised in the scriptures. We know the scriptures. We hear the stories. It's that hindsight is twenty twenty type of thing. So Jesus claims here, we're going to look specifically at his claim that he can give life. And he gives life in two different ways. And that's what we're going to study this morning in this text. The two ways that Jesus gives life. So let's go back to verse 25 and look at the very, he, this is where he, he Spells it out. He says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is. So two different times now and a time in the future when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who will those who hear will live. So there's this concept and you may have heard me allude to it before. Maybe you've heard it before already, but not yet. An hour is coming and now is so it's at already and not yet and we're going to go through some verses where you'll see that there's something that we have as believers now but we haven't fully comprehended it or accepted it yet for example we're told that we now have eternal life right we have it already but not yet where it's fully consummated and the bible talks about these things over and over again and this morning you'll see in a few different ways how that plays out and so he even here about living, he says the hour is n- coming and now is two different things he's talking about here. What is he talking about? And again, we sung about it a few minutes ago. Jesus claims to give life in two different ways. The first way is spiritually, which is now is life. 
right? We've ra- he, we've sung that he's raised our life from the dead, spiritually speaking, and made us alive. If you're a believer, he's done that now. You have life. And then he's doing it a second way in the hour that is coming. And that is his second coming, which we'll get to in a few moments. The already but not yet is a theology or an understanding of the scriptures and teachings of it. That there are things that we have now, but not fully consummated. All right, we have forgiveness of sins, and then in the future we'll be free from sin totally. Already but not yet. So Jesus, just so we understand, gives life in two different ways, spiritually and physically. So let's talk about the spiritual one, because that's what he mentions first. Again, verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, what is? When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. He says, now is the time that Jesus gives life to the spiritually dead. That's what he's talking about when he says he gives life now to the spiritually dead person. If you're a believer, that was you and that was me at one time. If you're not a believer, whether you believe it or not, you're still spiritually dead. Jesus has come to give life to the spiritually dead. Turn with me for a moment to the Gospel of Luke and look at verses 18 through 19. I love this verse because it it explains Jesus's ministry perfectly and especially explains the aspect of the spiritual side of what he's come to give. And as we walk through this, you'll see that Luke uh, 4 18 through 19. And this is that section of scripture where Jesus walks into the synagogue and he grabs the scroll of Isaiah and reads a section of it, which we're going to read right now, and says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing, meaning these things that Isaiah prophesied about are now being realized in the person of Jesus Christ. And what is it that he says he's going to do? Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, he says. Because he's anointed me, and he talks, I think, four or five different things here. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, let's think about this for a minute. Does this mean that Jesus has only come to speak to poor people? No. There's another meaning, spiritually poor, spiritually dead. Remember Jesus in the uh, Beatitudes says, blessed are the poor in what? Spirit, not poor in money, right? Poor in spirit. So Jesus has come to speak to the spiritually poor. Again, the, and I'm, the reason I'm going through this is I want to show you the spiritual aspect of Jesus' ministry. Let's go to the next one. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Did Jesus come to release all the prisoners? No. What prisoners is he talking about? Who's being held captive and by what? He's talking about being captive by the devil, by sin. So spiritually speaking, Jesus has come to release the captives, the spiritually poor, the captives, and this next one, and recover the sight to the blind. Now, if we're talking physically, Jesus would have healed every single blind person that he came in contact with. And we learned last week he didn't even heal every person that was sitting by the pool. It was one person for his purpose, for his glory. So who is he talking about the sight of the blind, the spiritually blind? Right? He opens the eyes of the blind. We sing songs about that. Each and every one of us this morning at one time or still are spiritually blind until Christ comes into our life and gives us sight to see. 
So again, that's, you see that spiritual aspect of Jesus' ministry, to preach gospel to the spiritually poor, to proclaim release to the spiritually held captive, and recover the sight of the blind, and to set free those who are oppressed, those who are oppressed spiritually. Jesus frees all, each and every one of us from oppression if we believe on his name. Right? John was praying this morning to believe that, accept that, receive it, because it's true. It's now. It's realized now. And in the future, it will be totally realized where we're free from all oppression forever. And lastly, he says to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, meaning the kingdom of God has now come in the form of Jesus Christ. So it's already now, right? We live in the kingdom of God, and then it's still coming in the future. So you see that it's already, but not yet. So this is the spiritual side of Jesus' ministry, where he gives life to the blind, to the dead. <clears throat> so let's go back to our text again in John chapter. I hope, I hope that makes sense to you. John chapter uh, 5, right? Yes. So Jesus has come to give life to those who are spiritually dead. So all spiritually poor, captive, blind, oppressed, and dead are going to hear the voice of God, he says, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So each and every one of us who's heard the voice of the Son of God by faith have come to life. We're no longer dead. Let me show you a few verses that talk about the deadness that we have. So turn with me to we're going to be flipping around through a few verses, as you can tell. Uh, so hopefully you're you know where these scriptures are. If not, write them down. I think they'll come up here as well. But it's always good. You've heard me misquote scripture as I put diet in the bulletin. Uh, you want to watch out for me. <laughs> Ephesians chapter two. This is a great section. Verses one through ten that speak of. The deadness that we had. Ephesians chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 10. Look at this. And he's, so he's speaking to the church. Ephesians is a church. He says, and you were dead, meaning past tense. You were dead, so you've come to life. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So in our former life, meaning before Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, given into all kinds of fleshly desires. But, look at verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our, tra our transgressions, made us alive together. There's what Jesus is talking about. Paul's referring back to that. This is what happened at conversion. You became alive together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. And raised, here's that already and not yet, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we are already, spiritually speaking, raised up with Christ, sitting in the heavenly places. But are we there yet? Say no. Say okay. No, thank you. Not now, but 
The book of Revelation talks about a time when we will be at the second coming. We will live with Christ for all eternity. So it's that already we're there, but not yet. So I hope that makes sense to you. Moving on, verse 7. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Those last few verses we always just quote by themselves, but we forget all that's in front of it. All this that we are at one time were dead in our trespasses and sins, and God made us alive with Christ Jesus, sitting us in the heavenlies where he will glorify himself through us in the age which we are living in now. That's just one example of how we were dead. Turn with me a few books to Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. And there's tons of verses that talk about this, but I just want to point out a few here. Otherwise, we'll be here for a long time, and I will miss the Dallas Cowboy game, and we're not doing that. Just kidding. (laughs) Get out of here. No, just kidding. Colossians chapter 2, look at verse 13. Hopefully you have the right one. It says, when, again, speaking to the church now at Colossae, when you, speaking to the church, were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcised of your flesh, he made you alive together with him. So there's that spiritually speaking. Christ has come to raise the spiritually dead to life. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. That's when it happens. That's when you become alive. It's instantaneous. Once you become a believer, Receiving Christ, believing in his work, you are made alive. It's not like, well, I got to work towards it. No, it's, it happens instantaneously once your sins are forgiven. Look at verse 14. Having counseled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display over, of them, having triumphed over them through him. So actually, you were made alive at the cross. All your sins were forgiven at the cross, right? We sung about that just now. He paid the price for all sins that you will ever commit. Once you receive him, all those things are given to you. He did it in eternity past. So again, it's not something you have to work towards. It's not something you have to pray about more and more. Go to church more and more. We talked about this last week. So again, churches that teach those things or say you've got to spend time in purgatory because Jesus didn't pay it all is blasphemous. You're saying Jesus didn't do it all on the cross? I, again, I'm, I'm reiterating myself. You heard last week, but I'm sorry. It frustrates me. That teaching that Jesus, you didn't do it all. I have to go and pay for my sins a little bit more. Horrible. And, it's, and it's, it holds people captive to un biblical teachings where they think they have to do something to earn their salvation and we just read you can't earn it it was a gift by god's grace jesus has given you life now one last verse on this spiritual life turn with me to the book of revelation chapter three look at verses one through four where jesus is speaking to one of the churches again These are all Jesus speaking to churches because as John prayed, sometimes we forget that we are 
alive, right? We're still trying to work towards things. Perfect prayer. Thank you, John. Revelation chapter 3, look at verse 1, and that's all we're going to read. It. Oh, no, where are we 1 through 4? I think I only put verse 1, but if you have your Bibles, hopefully you do, you can read with me. He says, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. So this church has a name or a reputation that they think they're alive, but they're actually dead. So this is a, really, it's just a church by name. They're not true believers. They think they're alive, but they're truly dead. And look at what's warning to them. He says, wake up, strengthen the things that remain, which you were, which were about to die for. I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few. No, that's it. We'll just reverse three. It's good enough. So you see that? So here's a church that thinks they're alive. But because they haven't applied the, the grace of God into them fully, they're actually dead. Maybe you could think of churches that claim to be alive, big churches, mega churches, even little tiny churches. It doesn't matter that claim to have a name that's alive. You know, we're the you know, first church of such and such. But because they have not applied the grace of God and received what the work of God is, they're actually dead. That can be you and me as well. If you're not a believer, you think you're a believer, you have a name, you call yourself Christian, but you're actually dead. So the name itself means nothing. We can call ourselves Christians all we want, but we haven't truly received the work of Jesus Christ and believe on his name. We are dead. We are still in our trespasses and sins. And so that warning that God gave to the church at Sardis is also for you and me this morning. Are those of you who maybe think you have a name but you don't really i would say like the church like the uh like jesus said to the church here wake up strengthen the things that remain which are about to die let's go back to our text now in john all right john chapter 5 right it's been a while now we're back so the first way that jesus gives life is spiritual he spiritually gives life Well, what's the second way? Look at verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming. So you have that now, spiritual life. But there is an hour coming in the future in which all who are in the tombs will hear the voice and will come forth, those who did good deeds to to a resurrection of life and those who commit the evil deeds to a resurrection of life judgments now we're going to walk through this these last two verses take a little while but there's a lot there's a lot here so there's that already where we're alive but there's also an hour coming that's not yet where everyone will be made alive right people will come out of the tombs and will come forth some to the resurrection of life and some to the resurrection of judgment So guess what? Everyone will live for eternity. Some will have life and some will have judgment. 
And we'll talk about that in a few short minutes. So let's look at this future event. When is this hour coming? What is he talking about? When does the resurrection of all people that he's just now mentioned take place? Well, let's look at a few verses that talk about this. And and I'll just tell you right now, it's the second coming of Christ. When Christ comes a second time, all people are resurrected. So let's look at a a few verses, and we've read this plenty of times, but with this context in mind, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is that resurrection to life, that time that is coming that is not yet. First uh, Corinthians 15, starting in verse 50, <clears throat> he says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, meaning die, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. What he mentioned in John chapter 5, verse 28, the dead will rise right here. And all will be changed for the perishable will put on the imperishable and the mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? Uh, excuse me, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's coming. We haven't had it yet. We've been alive spiritually, so there's that already, but not yet. The best is yet to come. Turn with me to uh, 1 Thessalonians. Here's another section that talks about this, chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, looking at verses 13 through 18. And this, in this, this section of Scripture, some in the church at this time had believed that the resurrection had already taken place, that this is eternity, we're here, it's over. It's that already is now come. And Paul's correcting that misunderstanding of them, of theirs. And look at verse 13, he says, verse 13, he says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. So he's talking about those who have already died. Did they miss the resurrection? Well, Jesus says, no, there's going to be a time when people will come out of the tombs. And this is what he's talking about right here. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do those, excuse me, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. That is a time coming when all of our family members and friends, saints of the church, their bodies will rise out of the graves with those who are still alive and meet the Lord in the air as he comes in victoriously to rule and reign over the earth for all eternity. 
that is in the future. That is what we look forward to. That is the resurrection of life. So those of you who are believers, you already have life, but yet this is still coming. Amen? What about the other resurrection that Jesus talks about in John chapter 5? He says there's a resur- some will resurrect to life. What about the rest? Some will resurrect to judgment. Let's look at this real quick in, in Revelation 20. Look at with me verses 11 through 15. Revelation 20, look at verses 11 through 15. So you have this resurrection to life and then the resurrection to judgment. He says this, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great, the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. This is talking, that's not people that died at sea. This is talking about the grave. Okay. So the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then earth and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's the judgment of God. For those who do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ now will face judgment by God for all eternity. And the scary thought as I was thinking about this is that this is eternal Think of this. We live in a world where there's always tomorrow, right? There's always a new day. Uh, maybe something will change. My good fortune is just around the corner. We live in that type of environment where we have uh, a second chance. The scary thing about the judgment is that's it. There's no hope. There's nobody coming to rescue those who will stand the judgment of God. So for all eternity, you have to live with the with the thought that this state that I'm in never, ever is going to change. That is really scary to think about. It's not like, well, maybe in a a few days Christ is going to come or my good fortune is going to change. I'm going to pay for my sins. No. The time that their sins have been paid for, you just have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. But if you don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will face this judgment for all eternity, suffering for your own sins. And with the thought that there is no hope that things will ever change. That, to me, is the scariest part of that. Because, again, we live in an age where there's always tomorrow. I'll do better. I'll do better. next. There's always Monday to start that diet, so to speak. There's always next year, next month, next paycheck, next this. In eternity, there's no next. That's it. Let that sit and, and, and think about that for a few moments. That, that, that if the current state that they're in is never, ever to change again, I pray that none of you this morning will be in that state. I pray that everybody in this room this morning is a believer and they will be resurrected to life. So what determines where you stand back 
in the book of John. Turn back to John. Look at verse 29. So, so what determines if you're resurrected to life or resurrected to judgment? What, is, what does Jesus say here in John? It might seem like, well, that doesn't seem right. So see all the things that we just said. Well, look at what he, what he says here. He says, and uh, do not marvel at this, for an hour comes uh, when, which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And will come forth those who did the good deeds to the resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So at first reading, this looks like, okay, if I do good things, resurrection of life. If I do evil things, resurrection of judgment, right? Does everybody see that? It's not just me. But we know through the totality of Scripture that's not true. Because do we ever stop doing I mean, how many of you just do good deeds? Let's raise your hand so we can emulate you. Yeah. No, we do evil deeds all the time. I do evil deeds and I do good deeds. So that can't be what he's talking about, right? And we know and we just read that it is not through our works that we're saved, but by grace. So what is he talking about here when he says those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment? Is there a is there a scale where if I do more good than bad, then I get in? No, that's works. Well, what is he talking about? Well, I'll give you two options here. According to commentators, the first, many believe that this good deed is believing on Jesus Christ. That's the good deeds. Because in John chapter 6, you don't have this verse, won't come up, but write this down. John chapter 6, verses uh, 28 and 29 where Jesus talking about the work of God, he says this, or John writes, Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? So the crowd's asking, What do we do to do the right thing? Jesus answers and says to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him, you believe in him who he has sent. So you believe in Jesus Christ. That's the good deed. That's the good work. This good deed that he's talking about in chapter 5, is that the only good deed that you can do, and it's only by the grace of God that you can do this, is believe on him. That's it. All those other things, again, John's prayer that he mentioned are hay and stubble. They don't amount to anything in God's economy as far as salvation is concerned. So that's one understanding of that verse, that the good deed is believing in Christ. The evil deeds then would be what? Not believing on him. The other option is this, or the um, other commentators believe that the good and bad deeds are evidence of salvation. This is kind of like, well, you're a believer, so the good deeds are what kind of follow your life. Or if, you're, if your life's more pronounced with evil deeds, then you're probably not saved. So the good and bad deeds are evidence of your salvation. It's a manifestation of the condition of your heart. Now, you could, you know, go back and, okay, I'm going to see which one it really is. Again, commentators are, you know, on both sides. Uh, and uh, so we'll leave that there. What it isn't is, it's not that if you do good, you get in. No, it's either the good, the good deeds you do is you're believing on Christ, or those good deeds are the manifestation or evidence of your salvation, that you're doing good deeds, that, you know, that's a mark of your life. So we'll leave that there and move on now. So this is the teaching of Jesus. He gives life two ways. Number one, spiritually, and number two, physically at the second coming. So in closing, how should we respond to this? What does Scripture say 
that you and me and the entire world, how should you respond? Well, number one is this. The first thing that this should cause for each and every one of us is to think about where we stand with Christ. So if you're not a believer in Christ, then your response, I pray this morning, is that you will repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so that you will be resurrected to life. You will not have to pay for your sins by being eternally separated from God because he's already paid the price for you. Remember, Jesus paid it all, not some of it, not half of it, not three-fourths, and you've got to do some good deeds to help out. No, all. That's why it's so awesome to sing that song. Jesus paid it all to, all to him I owe. There's nothing more to do. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, Scripture says. For the rest of, for those of you who believe, for those of you who are saved and are made alive, what do we, how do we respond to this? Well, let's go back at just a, a few verses. And, and each of the end of those verses that we looked at this morning about the second coming, there's something at the end how the person should live in light of Christ's coming. So 1 Corinthians uh, fifteen fifty eight. After he talks about Jesus coming, I like this. This is great. He says this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. So because Christ is coming back, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, here's the application. Therefore, because of these things, church, number one, be steadfast in your faith. Be steadfast in your faith. Number two, be immovable. What does that mean? That means be immovable in your trust in God. Let nothing deter you from your faith. Trust in the Lord. Nothing can happen in your life that could throw you that. Don't let it do that. Because Christ's coming is sure, because your salvation is sure, because your resurrection is sure, be immovable. You know this is going to happen. Nothing should shake your faith. Thirdly, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. Keep serving God wherever you are in your church. Serve God. Keep serving Him. It's not, you know, sometimes you might think, man, I serve Him and nothing's happening. You know, there's no big revival in the ministry that I am or the church that I'm at. We don't work for those things. We work for the Lord. Keep serving God because your toil is not in vain. If you're in a place right now where you're like, I'm not serving God, be praying about where you could serve God. God's kingdom is coming, and we need to get the church built up and strengthened and evangelizing the world out there because guess what? If Christ were to return right now, everyone that's not saved, judgment, resurrected to judgment. And we don't want that. We have family members, friends, coworkers. Let us pray that God would open their hearts and give us opportunity to share the Lord with them. So repent and believe on the Lord. Be steadfast in your faith. Be immovable from your trust from God and keep serving God. The next one is in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. When we looked at this verse a few minutes ago, again, speaking of the second coming, there was something at the very end that he tells the church to do in verse 18. Therefore, again, because Christ is coming, comfort one another with these words. There may be brothers and sisters in, your, in this church, 
that you know that need to be comforted. Maybe they're beaten down, tired, frustrated, feel like giving up all hope. The second coming should bring comfort to them. You know what? Hang on. Hold on. Let me help you. Comfort one another with these words. Christ is going to return. Everything is going to be better. Look down at verse uh, chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. We didn't read this, but this continues on with his thought, and we'll close with these last three applications. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 4 through 11. I'm in 2 Thessalonians. Okay, here we go. Let's just read this in closing. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that day, that the day would overtake you like a thief, meaning the second coming. For you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So then let us walk, excuse me, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. So stay spiritually alert because you know what's going to happen. You know Christ is going to return at some time in the future. We should always be alert and aware of that, living with that thought that Christ will return at some point. You don't know when. Nobody knows when. Christ himself said he does not know the day or the hour. But it's, it's for sure it will happen. Verse 7, for those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and those, excuse me, yeah, of love, let us, uh, and as a helmet and a hope of salvation. So he's talking about our salvation, the way that we live. Let us be sober. Let us stay alert, stay spiritually alert, spiritually sober. For God has not destined us to wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we live together with him. Therefore, and we'll close with this, encourage one another. As we said earlier, and build one another up just as you are always doing. So our job as believers is to encourage one another with this hope and build each other up as a church. And John said it again in our as we started during the announcements. We have Bible study groups that we want people to get involved in. Why? So that we can build each other up so that you don't just like drag yourself spiritually through the week and hope on Sunday you're going to get a great message from me. Because <laughs> sometimes it's like, no. You got to be on a daily basis around your brothers and sisters, encouraging one another, building each other up, because Christ is going to return and we're going to be resurrected to a new life. That's something to look forward to. In the meantime, hang in there, brothers and sisters. Encourage one another, build each other up, stay sober and alert, because Christ is coming and we do not want to be caught unaware like a thief. And he comes in to rob. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord God, for making us alive in you now. And we look forward to the second coming where we will be alive forever with you, spending eternity in your presence, realizing all the promises that are given to us in Scripture. Until that day comes, Lord God, may we strengthen one another. May we build each other up as believers. May we be looking for opportunities to share your love with those who do not yet know you. And Lord God, I pray this morning if there's anybody in this room who does not know you, who has not believed on you for salvation and trusted in you, that they would cry out to you this moment. Crying out 
and repenting of their sins and asking for your forgiveness. And I pray, Lord God, that they would receive the work of your son Jesus Christ on the cross and they will be made alive. Open their eyes, open their ears. Free them from their captivity and their blindness and their spiritual oppression that they might have newness of life. We thank you, Lord God, that you are able to do all these things and so much more. And we give you our praise this morning. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that we do this. And the church agreed by saying, amen.